Uh, so thankful for uh, the, the worship team for leading us, and I'm so thankful that you guys are here tonight. Uh, I said this last week, but I know there's a lot of other places that you could be, and so the fact that you would choose to come and worship and to study the Word, uh, I'm just encouraged by that. Hey, if you have your Bible, go ahead and open it up to the, uh, to the letter, uh, the book that we call First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians. So last week, we kicked off a series called Welcome to the Family. Welcome to the Family. We're really talking about our faith family, uh, which is the church. That, that, that is globally, but also us locally as a local body, Gardnell First Baptist, and then for us as a ministry, uh, Sub 25. We looked at Acts chapter 17. If you've never read the book of Acts, read it, because there are some powerful stories of how God worked through specific people. And we talked about how Paul was preaching the word in Thessalonica, and many people believed upon Jesus. And then in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul, he's reminiscing back on this moment where these, these, these people came to know Christ, and he's celebrating their salvation and their dedication to follow Jesus. And in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, this is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, Paul continues to reminisce about his time with the Thessalonians, but in this chapter he also makes a defense for himself and for Silas and those who were ministering in Thessalonica. You see, some people thought that Paul, being a preacher, a minister, they thought he was a fake. They thought he was a phony. And uh, we're kind of used to that in the world that we live in because we see that there are a lot of religious fakes, a lot of phonies. And so what Paul is doing is he's saying, listen, remember what I've done. Remember how I ministered to you in a particular way. And so Paul, he's, he makes this defense. And what we're going to see is we're going to see the kind of minister that Paul was. We're going to see the kind of life that he, that he lived. And so let's read our passage, and then we'll unpack it. We're going to read verses 1 through 12, but we're not going to make it all the way through. So this will be a, a two-part message. We'll talk about the first part tonight, and then next week we'll wrap it up. But in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we're going to read through uh, verse 12. Don't fall asleep on me. This is some good stuff here. Here's what Paul writes. For you yourselves know, brethren, he's talking about the believers in Thessalonica, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness, verse 6. Nor did we seek glory from men either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you'd become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. 
as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Before we unpack this, let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, it is true. It is, it is without error. It is life-giving. Lord, as we talked about last week, Lord, the, the word, it, it guides us, it leads us. And I pray that tonight, that through your Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes and that you would speak, that you would speak to us. Lord, we need to hear from you. Lord, we thank you for these songs that we've just sung, declaring who you are, declaring your love and your goodness and your glory. And right now, would you speak through your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, I shared a family conviction that, that, that we have as a ministry, a family belief, if you will. That, that was what we're challenging us as believers as a ministry to embrace. And if you forgot it or if you weren't with us, the, the conviction, the family conviction is this. The Word, talking about the Word of God, but also John chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus being the Word. The Word is the way. If, if you missed that, you can go back and, and listen to that message on our podcast. But tonight I want to share with you a, a family calling that we have. This is, this is a calling that each person that is a part of the body of Christ has on their life. Here's what the family calling is. It's a phrase. I didn't come up with it. I stole it, but I like it, so I'm going to use it. Here's the, here's the family calling. Every member a minister. I want you to remember that. If you have to write it down, just write it down. Every member a minister. I want you to remember this. If you're a Christian, you are called to be a minister. It doesn't mean that you're called to pastor or to preach, but it does mean that you are called to ministry. And I'll explain that in just a moment. A few days ago, uh, the Tour de France, or the Tour de France, it began. Does anybody like cycling? Great, nobody, or maybe one person. Anyways, the Tour de France, or the Tour de France, if you don't know anything about it, it is a 3,500-kilometer bike race. That is 2,156 miles. 2,156. It takes place over the course of 23 days. And growing up, I would watch this on TV if I didn't really have much to watch. or It was interesting. And I didn't want anybody to get hurt, but it was always interesting when you would see these massive crashes and you never knew what was going to happen. Sometimes it would rain and these guys are riding their bikes through the rain. But up until recently, I did not understand much about how the teams in the Tour de France function. Typically in the race, there are 20 to 22 teams and there are eight people on each bike team. But here's what I didn't realize. I didn't realize that the way that the teams were set up that teams had roles. And typically, each team has one lead rider. They have one guy who is better than all of them. And so what they do is they work as a team to help their best rider win. The guys that help to uh, help, help the lead rider win, uh, they're often called domestiques. It's a French word, and I don't know French, so I probably pronounced it wrong, but it essentially means servant. Now, here's what this means, and as I began to think about this, it, it really struck me. This means that the majority of the riders in the Tour de France, uh, nearly 200 of them, most of them are actually not trying to win. They're trying to help somebody else win. Think about that. 
There are riders, you will never know their name. They're in the race, and they're not trying to make it on the platform. They're trying to help somebody else get there. A cyclist named Matthew Heyman, he, he's been riding professionally for nearly two decades, and he said this about his career. He said, a lot of people probably wouldn't even know I was riding in the race. My career has been helping other people. Here's the point. If, if, you're, if you're a Christian in the room, then you are a minister. You're called to be a minister. You're called to be a, a servant. You have a role. You have a job. You have a part to play. But your role is not about you winning. It's not about you getting on the platform. It's not about you getting on the podium. You see, it's really about God getting the glory. It's about you ministering and you serving so that the attention gets on somebody else. And his name is Jesus. And as we do that, we're ministering to other people. So other people are benefiting from that. And we see that this is the life that Paul embodied, that he embraced. Look with me at verse 1. I'll read it again. For you yourselves know, brethren, the the Thessalonian believers, that your lives have been changed by Jesus. You know that our coming to you was not in vain. Paul is telling the Thessalonian believers that their time with them, it was not pointless. It was not worthless. It had significance. I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. He says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Paul can say, hey, it was not in vain because he knew that he was laboring in the Lord. He was serving for the Lord. He was serving for God's glory. He was preaching the word that does not return void. It does what it sets out to do. He was working for God. And Paul and Silas' time with the Thessalonians, it was not in vain because they were being obedient to what God had called them to do. The calling that God had on their life. I want to give a few principles that we see in our text about ministry based off of Paul's life. Principle number one is this. Ministry is never in vain. Ministry is never in vain. First off, what do I mean by ministry? Well, uh, let's let the Bible give us a definition. I believe that the Bible is the best commentary on the Bible as we open it up and allow God's word to speak to us and as we compare scripture with scripture. If we go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18, God's word says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Now let me say, this is available to you. If you've never turned from your sin and put your faith in Christ and entered into a relationship with the Father, it is possible. Your sins can be forgiven. You can be in a right relationship with God because of Jesus. This is what Paul says in verse 17. He's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. This is where some of you are. You've put your faith and trust in Jesus. You've said, Jesus, I believe. I trust in you. I'm going to follow you. But look at verse 18. Now, all things are of God who has reconciled. That's an important word. Who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus. That means that you and I, we were separated from God. There was no way for us to have a right relationship with the Father, but Jesus stepped in. And because of his work on the cross, he made a way so 
you and I could step into a right relationship with the Father. But don't miss this. If we, could, if we go back to verse 18, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Every believer has the calling on their life to be a minister, a minister of reconciliation, somebody that helps people come into a right relationship with the Father. Some of you, you've had to reconcile some of the relationships in your life. Maybe you had some friends that maybe they were nagging at each other. Maybe they got in a confrontation, and so you, you had to say, hey, hold on, guys. Let, let's work this out. You had to be a mediator between them, and you helped them reconcile. As believers, we're called to the ministry of reconciliation where we, we help people come into a right relationship with God by declaring the word, by living our faith out, by living for God's glory. All believers have been called to this, and this means that we're called to join God in his mission to see people come into a right relationship with him. Ministry doesn't just happen in this building. Praise God for the ministry that does happen, but it doesn't just happen in this building. You can minister to people at your workplace. You can minister to people in your classroom. You can minister to people in your apartment complex or in your dorm room. You can minister to people across the street, around the world. Don't miss this. Anywhere you are is a place where ministry can happen. Anywhere you are is a place where ministry can happen. Each and every day, God gives us opportunities to meet the needs of, of people, to point them to the one true God. Ministry that involves a person living in obedience to God's word and for his glory is never in vain. This is how Paul and Silas ministered, and as verse 1 says, it wasn't in vain. Unfortunately, though, if we were honest and we looked at some of our lives, we would see that there are many vain things that we've given our life to. And when I say vain, I'm talking about pointless, worthless things. We spend countless hours on social media, countless hours watching Netflix or YouTube videos. And there's nothing inherently wrong in these things, but when we begin to look back over the year, over the month, over the week, and we realize, wow, I have wasted a lot of my time. I have given much of my time, much of my life to vain things. We realize that much of our life is, is vain. It's pointless. But know this, it's also possible for you to spend your entire time in college to have a 4.0 GPA and much of it still be in vain. It's possible. It's possible to go to two, four more years of grad school. You're at the top of your class. You're working hard, and it could still be in vain. It's possible to enter into the workforce and to begin climbing the ladder, the ladder of success in the business or whatever it is you're doing, and it could still be in vain. You say, well, how is that possible? I'm successful. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 8, Solomon writes, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. All is vanity. This is Solomon's thesis of the book of Ecclesiastes as he looks at life and he recognizes that everything is vain, pointless, is purposeless. You want to be an entrepreneur? Start a business? At the end of your life, you die, something happens with the business. It's kind of what 
Solomon and says, it's, it's vain, it's vanity. However, that's not where he ends. A few verses later, Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13, Solomon says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Well, if everything's vain, then what's the point? Well, not quite everything is vain. Verse 13 says, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. If you want to have a life full of meaning and purpose, one that is not vain, it starts with a right relationship with God. And living that relationship out. I never thought that I would say this in a sermon. But not long ago, I heard Zac Efron say something incredibly powerful. We're all in this. No, I'm just kidding. That was not what was powerful. But here's what he said. And, I, and I, I remember it. It's been ringing in my head for quite some time. And he's not, he's not a Christian, mind you. Success without purpose is basically meaningless. Think about that. Success without purpose is basically meaningless. This is somebody who's not a Christian who has recognized that in this world you could have success. But without purpose, it's basically meaningless. As Christians, we, we recognize where our purpose is rooted, and it's not rooted out there. It, it's rooted in the, in the word of God. God has created you to be in a relationship with him. We said this last week, but your purpose is to know God, to love him, and to help others understand who he is, to bring glory to his name. This means that you could be the most successful doctor in the world, and yet your life is still vain. You could be the greatest businessman, businesswoman that ever lived, and yet it is vain. You could be the best nurse, the best plumber, best teacher, and yet it is vain. I hope that some of you become the best doctors and businessmen and teachers. I, I hope that's true. But do not miss the calling that God has placed on your life to know the Father, to help others know him, to, to live a life of ministry in service to the Father. If you want to make your life count, remember that ministry is never in vain. God wants to use each and every one of you as a minister. Let's keep reading. Look, look at verse 2. So Paul, he says, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. Now, I, I know what some of you are thinking. The idea of committing your life fully to, to Christ, all of it, for you to go all in, it seems a little daunting. It, it seems daunting. Some of you probably feel like you don't know enough or you're afraid of what those around you may think if you really go full in to follow Jesus fully. Well, let's think about what Paul is saying here. Paul says that in Philippi they suffered and they were spitefully treated. You can read about this in Acts 16. I mentioned it last week. In Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas, they're, they're preaching, they're ministering to people, and they're literally thrown into prison because of that. He says, we suffered. We were spitefully treated. And then they, they leave, and they head into Thessalonica, and guess what they found there? More conflict, more suffering. This is not one of my points, but we could also say that ministry or a life devoted to serving the Lord and serving others, it leads to suffering. But this is the life that Paul and Silas embraced. Anybody want to sign up for that? 
Typically, people don't want to sign up for suffering, but if we're going to embrace the calling that God has on our life, and if we're looking at this passage as, a, an, as an example of what it looks like to minister, then suffering awaits us. But don't miss what Paul says in the middle of verse 2. He says, we were bold in our God. Paul and Silas were not bold in their own strength. They didn't dig deep within. That's kind of what the world would say. Hey, it's in you. You just got to look deep enough. No, actually, I've looked and it's not, it's not there. Scripture would say that deep down within is a wicked heart. I don't, I don't, I don't want you to see the wickedness of my heart. There, there's parts of my heart that, again, I don't even fully understand, but God does. And God's word says that it is deceitful. Who can know it? But, but he can. But what we see is that Paul and Silas, that they were not bold in their own strength. They were bold in God. God supplied the strength that they needed. God supplied everything they needed to fulfill what he had called them to fulfill. So principle number two is this. Ministry requires boldness. Requires boldness. Ministry requires boldness, but as we just saw, we are not bold in ourselves. We are bold in God. If you feel too inadequate, too weak, too incompetent to be used by God, you're actually a great candidate. Some of you right now, you feel like, man, I don't, God can't use me. I'm working at this job. I don't even really like the job. I don't know much about the Bible. Yes, I believe in Jesus. Yes, my life has been changed by him. But people are probably going to ask me questions I don't know the answer to. God can use you. You feel too weak. God can use you. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Paul shared a prayer request. You want to know what his prayer request was? Look at verse 17 and 18, or excuse me, uh, 19 and 20. Verse 19 says, and for me, he says, hey, for me, I want you to pray, but here's what I want you to pray for me about. That utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. For which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul, he, he was asking people to pray for me. Pray that I have boldness. We think that Paul was this incredible guy, and, and he did great things for God, but he was just a man. He was just a man who was bold in God. Not in his own strength. He knew his inadequacies. Inadequacies. Not inadequacies. That's, that's a strange word. He knew his inadequacies. He knew his weaknesses. And that's where some of us are. But Paul would say in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said, Christ's strength is made perfect in weakness. Anybody weak? It's a great opportunity to experience Christ's strength in you. It could be that God has you in a weak position so that he can reveal parts of you that he could not otherwise reveal to you. When we're weak, oftentimes we complain, but God's word says in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. You want to experience Christ's perfect strength? Then if you feel weak right now, you're in a great opportunity to experience that. Paul was bold in God. He was bold in God. He wasn't leaning on himself. A few weeks ago, um, I needed to wash the cars, and I asked my oldest son. He's two and a half. I'm not sure if he left yet or not, so I won't say his name because he might start talking back to me. But my oldest son, he's two and a half. I said, hey, buddy, we're going to go wash the cars. Uh, mom went to, uh, to the, uh, she was either working or she was at the grocery store, and so I started to get all the stuff out, and my little buddy was there with me, and 
spray down the cars. I've got our bucket. I've got soap in there. I fill up the bucket. All the sudsy water's there. I get the tools that I need. I've got, got some rags. I've got some things to wash. And I made sure to get a rag specifically for my little buddy. I said, all right, bud, here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to wash the car. Hey, showed him the rag. Hey, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take this. I'm going to go to the side of the vehicle, and we're going to wash it like that. Showed him how to do it. I was right there with him. He begins to do that. We begin to wash. He sees me spraying the vehicle off, and now he wants to spray it, and so now he's spraying it. And Before too long, uh, a few minutes go by, and next thing, the rag's on the ground. He's playing with the bubbles in the water. He's over here doing something, and uh, the rag is now dirty. You can, you can see how this would go, and I continue to do the work. Well, when Mama got home, and guess what my son said? He said, Mama, we washed the van. Yeah, buddy, we washed the van. But I think that we all understand that there was really one person that was washing the van, and it was Dad. Now, sure, I, I, I showed him what to do. There were things that he did. I, I could kind of help guide him a little bit uh, along the way, but I I was really the one who showed him how to do this. I simply invited him to join me, and I gave him what he needed to do, what I asked him to do. When we say yes to the calling that God has placed on our life, we have to understand that we are incapable of fulfilling that task. If I would have said to my son, all right, there you go. I'm going to go inside. I'm going to watch some Netflix. Hey, let me know when you got it done. We all know that Nothing would have gotten done. But I invited him to join me in my mission to clean the car. And God is inviting you and he's inviting me to take part in his mission to see that a world would come into a right relationship with him. But we have to understand that it's not our own strength to fulfill the task. We need to be bold in God. We need to lean into what he's doing. We need to rest in his strength. We need to be obedient to what he is asking us to do. We cannot change somebody's life, but he can. We cannot save somebody, but he can. We cannot spiritually open blind eyes, but he can. We cannot rescue someone from spiritual darkness, but he can. Don't miss this. God will give us what we need to fulfill what he asks of us. In the same way as I said, hey, buddy, here's here's your rag. Here's what you need to do. He just needed to be obedient to me. I invited him to take part in what was going on. And God is inviting you. He's inviting me to take part in what he's doing. And Paul and Silas said yes to that. And they weren't bold in their own strength. They weren't leaning in their own abilities. They were leaning in God's. And they were allowing God to do what they could not do. And that is why they could be bold. Because the power wasn't in them. The power was not in them. It was in God. Ministry requires boldness. But not boldness in your abilities and strength. Requires boldness in God. God wants to work in you and through you as a minister of the gospel of Jesus. Now let's look at uh, four more verses. Verses 3, 4, 5, and 6. Verse 3 says this. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. Now here's what Paul's saying. He's saying we weren't trying to deceive you. We had no impure motivation. Again, as I said a minute ago, in Paul's day, there were religious phonies, religious fakes. And some people were saying, man, this Paul that came in here, he came in quickly and then he left quickly. 
Remember, there was opposition in Thessalonica, and they said, Paul, you got to get out of here, man. The believers, they, they said, Paul, we got to get you out. And so they got out of there, and some people, they were saying, man, this Paul, man, he's just a religious fake. He's trying to deceive people. He just wants money. See, we still see this going on. We look throughout the history, the past 50 years, certain televangelists, authors, even pastors and preachers, many of them would be phonies and fakes. They're deceivers. They're deceiving people. They're teaching things that aren't true. They're not serving for God's glory. They're serving for their own glory. They're, they're doing things on their own. They have impure motives. They're full of error. And I'll just say this, just because something is labeled Christian doesn't mean that it's true or right. We have much today. You could walk into any famous bookstore and go to the Christian section, and you could find a book that may have some kind of Christian leaning. It could be filled with all sorts of error and incorrect truth that would lead millions of people astray. Just because it says it's a Christian devotion doesn't mean that it's biblical and true. That's why, again, like we talked about last week, we need this word. Devotion Right. I love hearing what other people have to say about the Bible, but I want to talk to God. I want to hear from him. I, I don't want to hear from the famous pastor that's a few states away. I want to hear from the Holy Spirit speaking to me through, through his word. we got to get in it. Paul says, hey, what we were teaching to you, it, it was not in error. And guess what? You want to know why it wasn't in error? Because as we looked at last week, he opened the scriptures to them. He opened the truth of God's word. Paul says in verse 4, but as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, don't miss this, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness. God is witness. He's saying, listen, you saw us. God knows what's in our heart. He knows what was going on. Verse 6, nor did we seek glory from men. All these fakes, all these phonies, they're seeking glory from men. They're looking for fame. They're looking for power. They're looking for money. He said, either from you or from others, when we might have made de demands as apostles for Christ. Now, here's the last principle for tonight, and we'll pick up next week with some other principles. But principle number three, ministry is about God's glory and not man's. Ministry is about God's glory and not man's. Paul did not minister for man's praise. He did not minister for popularity or power. Paul said he didn't use flattering words. We got a lot, we got a lot of people that would use flattering words to deceive. Uh, me and Angela, we sat in a timeshare presentation a few years ago, and the guy, he used flattering words. You're doing vacation wrong. Hey, why don't, you, why don't you think about being on a, on a yacht once a year? Think about going to some of the nicest hotels throughout the whole world. He used flattering words. That's how some religious fakes and phonies were to deceive people. Paul says we didn't do that. He ministered to please God, not to please men. If I minister to please you, then my ministry is vain. Now, we already said ministry is not vain if it's done in the right way, but if, but if I'm seeking to please you, if I'm doing this for, for your praise, it's not going to last. It's not going to honor God. It's not going to bring glory to God. Paul says, we didn't minister for your praise. We minister for God, for his glory. Paul knew that the, the praise of man is nothing compared to the praise of heaven. 
The praise of man is earthly. And some people live for that. And that's what they'll get. And that's it. Meanwhile, in heaven, God is disappointed in the way that they live their life. Because they're wasting it. They're, 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 they're giving their life to pointless, vain things. Paul was not like this. He knew that the praise of man is nothing compared to the praise in heaven. And you may be wondering, why would somebody embrace this life? Living for the glory of God. Why would somebody like Paul endure suffering and conflict for the glory of God? Why would someone leave the comforts of the South, if you think the South is comfortable? Sweet tea, Milo's, Jim and Nick's, cheese biscuits, whatever, whatever you would say is comfortable in the South. Why would somebody do that and head to India? Head to China to minister to people. Why would somebody move to a different state to minister to the needs of the poor, the outcast, the needy? Why would somebody work long hours at a challenging job and instead of kicking back at night, watching some Netflix, they would meet up with a friend. They would listen to that friend and the struggles that they're going through and they would spend time praying with them and opening up God's word and pointing them to the truth. Why would somebody do that? Instead of hitting the snooze button, why would somebody get up early before work to pray for friends or family members that don't know Christ? Here's why people would do that. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through 11. This tells us why Paul did what he did, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, talking about his former life, which his former life was actually pretty good. He had it made. He says, what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Verse 8, yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. It's interesting that Paul did not experience suffering before Christ, had a good life, and now he experiences Christ and he suffers for his behalf, and he says, this life is better. The suffering with Christ is better than the lack of suffering that I had when I did not know Christ. And the life that I have, man, I live it for God's glory. I live it for him. Verse 9 says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. If I can paraphrase this, if I can put it in a shorter statement, nothing compares to knowing Christ and living for him. Nothing. Nothing. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 10, he said, I've come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Do you have that life? The abundant life does not consist of the things of this world. It does not come from the world. It comes from living for the praise of the Father. It doesn't come from man's praise. The abundant life comes when we realize that Jesus is all that we need. The abundant life comes when we stop living for ourselves and our glory and we begin to live for the glory of God. Ministry is about God's glory. It's not man's. Every member, a minister. If you are a part of the church, if you are a Christian, you're called to be a minister. And for us as a ministry, as a faith family, what we're saying is, hey, every, every, every man a minister, 
if, if you're a believer, you have a role. You have a job to play. Every man a minister. If you would bow your head.